the New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We have a little bit of a special treat for you this week. Uh, I've recently been at the CIO Summit in Auckland and was fortunate enough to spend some time with one of the keynote speakers, Jonathan Reichenthal, well, more accurately, Professor Jonathan Reichenthal, and had a great, great discussion with him. And I'm sure this will be of interest both for those who were there at the CIO uh, Summit and heard his keynote, heard him uh, talking about the CIO as the Chief Inspiration Officer, and for those that weren't there. So really hope you enjoy this special episode this week of the New Zealand Tech Podcast. And of course, we'll be back again next week. All right, let's jump in. Well, greetings and welcome along to the podcast. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of joining Professor Jonathan Reichenthal. Welcome along, Jonathan. Well, thank you. It's great to be here, as they say. Yes, well, very, very nice to get a chance to uh, to hang out and uh, and really, I guess, talk about innovation, disruption, technology. These are these are things that are uh, that are pretty dear to my heart mm-hmm. and seem to be. Uh, seems to be the world that you live in day to day, which is great. I do. Not only do I love to talk about them, but I live and play and work in Palo Alto, which is uh, baked into our DNA there. That's what we do. We're trying to change the world every day. And the people who come there and the businesses that are in there, are that's their uh, modus operandi every day. So your, your official title is the Chief Information Officer yeah. at the city of Palo Alto? That's my day job. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But you seem to get around the world uh, talking to <laughs> a whole mix of audiences. And it, it seems from, from what I've heard that your message is one of, one of inspiring and encouraging positive change. Would, yeah. that be, would that be fair to say? How do you like to sort of put your, your, your purpose? I, I like that a lot. Uh, look, like the next person, I'm figuring it out. And... I know this for a fact. I do know that I want my work to be meaningful. I want my impact to be meaningful. Uh, I hope everybody recognizes that um, this may be the only go around we get, right? And for the how many you know times the Earth goes around the sun over the next few years, <laughs> that's my journey. And and so I'm trying to figure out ways to to make a difference. That I have some sort of legacy. Um, I, I would say this that. Somehow, maybe by accident, I found a voice. Uh, I didn't think it was going to be the future of cities and ultimately the future of the planet. I knew it would be tech, but I, I don't think that I, I appreciated a few years ago the intersection between technology, innovation, and the future of our cities. And I found that, I think. And so it's a surprise to me that I have this day job, which is to make sure that the technology runs for the city of Palo Alto, but it's given me a platform and I've taken advantage of that uh, for very uh, positive reasons. I, I just feel that why not, right? Who, who gets this privilege? And I don't know how long I got it, right? Maybe, maybe I got two more years of, of this job. Uh, so I'm going to make sure that myself and my team can make a real difference. And, you know, there, there are so many incredible vehicles now for getting the message out, whether it's doing a podcast like this or uh, coming to New Zealand for a few days to speak at the CIO Summit Conference. Uh, to do, I also did some other video stuff today. Um, 
or you know going to Europe and and never before has there been such an incredible set of opportunities to to have a voice talk about things that are important and for some reason people are listening and actually I hope they're also acting on it because the action is what matters. Well, and and I think certainly for me, that's why I started listening and consuming podcast content mm-hmm. because I realized there was something better I could be doing with my time yeah. and I could be taking myself from the place I was to the place I needed to be right. or, or could go. And I certainly hope that's the case with our listeners, that they'll take something away from yeah. you know from this chat and, and the other uh, discussions that we that we have across the podcasts mm-hmm. and will inspire at least a, a small bit of uh, positive change. Yeah, I don't think you ever really know. You know, it's, to me, sometimes I'll do a lecture at a university to an international group, perhaps from China, and they and they won't seem to be perhaps they don't seem to me to be engaged. They're they're maybe drifting off because they have jet lag or they have their eyes closed because they're thinking or maybe they're sleeping. Um, and at the very end, they rush over to me and they're like, "That was amazing! That was amazing!" And sometimes I'll do you know the same thing at a conference where you know the the, the audience seems into it, but I'm not able to measure the impact because people wander off to the next thing. Uh, so it's often surprising when you make the impact. I think what we're all trying to do, those of us who want and choose to share, is find a connection that, like today, for example, at the CIO Summit, I'm talking to CIOs who know their jobs well. They know what they're supposed to do. And I, and I was trying to find what is the interesting space that is new to them that maybe they didn't think about and perhaps in some small way they'll bring back to the office later this week and I wanted to connect sort of why cities and the climate really matter and how being an inspiring leader is so important to make change whether it is through the contributions you can make to your communities or through leading your teams in ways that got value from them or got them so excited and so engaged uh, in a way that they didn't realize they had it in them. Um, so uh, uh, it, it, we'll see if it resonated, but uh, but but it is a surprise always what what, what connects with people. Mm. And yeah, often you won't you won't actually know, and you may may find out years later, right? You know how something's happened, and you know I think it's you know certainly the case. You know, for me, there's sometimes I have to hear a message, you know, a number of times in yeah. different ways over a period of years before it connects with me in such a way that the that the change actually happens mm-hmm. And some of that can be, you know, um, received via, you know, one-on-one contact. Uh, sometimes it's a podcast, yeah. but more often than not, it's, it's a combination of things. Yeah. You, you know, you read something in a book, you learn it at a at a young age that this is how you should do yeah. something, or this this is a a, a key element to uh, leadership, for instance. Yeah. And uh, and then you know, as you as you get along the way. Um, you know, you certain things become more important, other things become less. They do. So let's uh, let's let's talk about uh, innovation. Now, Silicon Valley is an area where there has been a tremendous amount of innovation. 
how do you find that environment in terms of you know you rub shoulders with with all sorts of people that are innovating uh you're an innovator yourself mm-hmm. uh, in a number of ways um what's it like being a part of a part of that environment yeah. and um you know i guess thinking of um our audience which is is spread all around the world right um what are the things that can you know that we can take home, knowing that we're we're not all going to be in Silicon Valley or, yeah. or not in Silicon Valley all of the time? Yeah. Um, you know, I get my my spots of time in the in the valley each year, but uh, um, but it's not where I where I live day to day. Well, when I was making the decision to move from the east coast of the U.S. out to the west coast, um, I consulted with a lot of people. I I wanted to get lots of views. You know, is is it a good change? I was pretty settled down in Florida had a nice house and had a good job. And people said, you know, no matter what happens, even if you spend a year, two years, three years in Silicon Valley, you will create a network that you will have for the rest of your life. And what I didn't realize was they were understating it. They were understating it. The networking is off the charts. And the amount of people I meet, the cards that are exchanged, the follow-up meetings that happen, uh, you know, when I first moved into the city in particular, I used to think of my door in my office as a revolving door and, and there were constantly people coming in and going out and I had to meter it. I had, to, I, I, this is crazy. I, I can't follow up on all the things that are happening. Um, so that's one characteristic. Now, you know, there's a lot of positives to Silicon Valley, but increasingly there's a lot of downside. You know, we, we, we don't have diversity and, and we have to tackle that. Um, there's still pay inequality. We have to tackle that. Um, but there's also a little bit of, and I love this, I'm going to steal it from somebody else. A guy said, you know, in, in Silicon Valley, everybody wants to meet you, but nobody wants to know you, right? And that sort of punched me in the stomach. It's so true. Um, we're trying to use each other a little bit. And, and I guess what I would say is that networking is tremendous. And that's what I'd encourage all tech communities to uh, foster outside of Silicon Valley. But I wouldn't encourage the sort of the this uh, the energy that goes into trying to extract from people value and then not showing any return. And 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 the the worst thing of all is that you make a connection with somebody and you're having interaction, and then your value is done and you never hear from them again. Um, so you know, I guess I'm here to you know kind of uh, talk about some sober qualities to, to Silicon Valley. Um, but as long as two people or two groups of people are exchanging value, uh, the, there is enormous amount of energy that goes into um, supporting uh, all sets of ideas, all craziness. Um, and, and I think that's really important. The, the serendipity is really significant too. You know, when you bring a lot of technology people into a very small area, whether it's the, uh, the, the fast food restaurants or the coffee shops or the bars, when you bring them all together, you know, some magic happens in terms of exchange of ideas. And, um, you know, you can have meetups that uh, perhaps people came for one reason to learn about blockchain, but they ended up meeting somebody and, and a week or two later, they created the, the next big social network. Um, this happens quite often. Um, and then I think lastly, uh, and, and whilst it sounds somewhat of a cliche, it's worth explaining it, you know, from the front line is, uh, in so many communities around the world, when you don't succeed at something, people will sort of 
say behind your back, you know, it's it's so sad that such and such didn't succeed or, you know, a pity they failed. Paint you as a failure. Yeah. And it's like, you know, well, let's hope they have some luck in the future. Whereas in Silicon Valley, it's like, it's amazing you failed. Now you know what, what not to do next time. And what's your next business? What's your next idea? Let's go. Let's go. You know, um, I, I got some money. I can invest in it. There's no downside. Uh, there's seldom downside to failure. And, you know, I had a, I had a group of French um, uh, students come and visit me about two years ago. This one just stands out. I have a lot of visitors who come to the city. And, you know, I did a talk at City Hall. And then I asked them, uh, how, what would happen if uh, you failed at something, you know, an endeavor? And they all universally said it'd be the end. That's, they'd be over. Wow. wow. And I said, that's not good for the future of French culture and French innovation. Um, you've got to figure out how you break out of that and actually celebrate the fact that you tried. Didn't work. You're going to try again. Um, so, you know, it, it is a special place, Silicon Valley. And I say that as somebody who's traveled the world, who's lived in many countries. Um, I'm not just, you know, um, saying it because I'm there right now. I'm saying it from a practical perspective. It, it, it feels different. It has a different speed. It, have a, it has a different mindset. Um, and, and these are all qualities which ultimately, if you bring it all together, uh, create the, the secret sauce that perpetuates this innovation. That's great, and and I, I love hearing that because th- there there is this cultural stigma around failure, and you're absolutely right. In in the valley, um, yeah, everyone learns from their mistakes and and moves straight on to the next thing, mm-hmm. and it's it's absolutely the norm there. Yeah, and out of that certainly come comes a lot of greatness and i mean just you know popped into my mind uh you know mark mark zuckerberg and you know i can't remember the all the ins and outs of of, of his stuff but um you know in in those early days he he made a mistake or two but very quickly sure. uh you know landed on on facebook and and over a period uh, yeah. you know history was uh, was written and if he'd given up after one mistake and decided <laughs> oh this is too hard i better go and work for somebody else rather than dabbling around with my own ideas which will no, never get anywhere yeah um yeah we we would have a different world. Now, some might debate whether the world would be better <laughs> or worse, but we won't get into that discussion this time. Um, and disruption, I, you know, I think um, we're, we're in this world and, you know, I guess for for you being based there in, in Palo Alto, you, you, are, you are seeing, I guess, oftentimes... Um, Lots of potentially disruptive technologies. Mm-hmm. Um, there are the the likes of Uber and 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 many companies that have that have brought already brought a level of uh, disruption to the world as we know it today. And being where you are and having the conversations you have, I guess you get a pretty good picture on where we're heading from from a perspective of uh, of disruption and and just how much the world is going to change yeah. in the years ahead and it's interesting to me the discussions that I have with people across all sorts of industries and and walks of lives and 
the points where we're often at in terms of, well, I'm comfortable here and look, I'm going to be living this way for, you know, there's sort of this assumption that how life is now that it's going to be pretty, pretty similar for, you know, a fair time ahead. Um, but my, my pick is that you would probably uh, not feel that way for my, most people and, uh, you know, whatever industries and, and worlds they're in. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I mean, I suppose what you're trying to say or what you're asking is, you know, we, we I'm in a unique position to see stuff that most people aren't seeing yet. Yeah. Right. And stuff, some stuff is going to succeed. Some's going to fail. I mean, a lot of stuff does fail, frankly, and it never makes the light of day. And uh, that's the marketplace. That's the, the you know, the. And it, and it, and it needs to happen sometimes. Yeah. Other times it happens because of the. You know the execution and you know all that lack thereof. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you do see a little bit of sort of, um, I'll call it the echo chamber in Silicon Valley, which is we're kind of patting ourselves on the back, uh, but it is just Silicon Valley. You know, it, it, your idea has to be big enough to to spread, and everybody gets their ten or fifteen minutes. You know, because of tech crunch and Twitter and a variety of podcasts uh, but uh, the, the real I guess the real answer is you know how many sign up and use the service how many part with their their precious cash that's always a good sign um, some of the metrics we use uh, are are insufficient you know in really understanding if something's uh, taking off um, they're, 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 I would say we're in a period of some uh, in, in a transitionary period right now, there there's a high volume of ideas. Um, there is a high degree of uncertainty uh, about what's working, what's not working, and and so it, it it's fun to watch. To be honest with you, uh, that, that's that's part of it. Uh, I, I'm I'm very pleased, for example, in what's happening around healthcare, because this is an area that hasn't seen significant change in quite a while. Um, just in the pure medicine side, um, we're still milking some pretty old medicine for good results. I mean, antibiotics are still pretty important, you know, and they've been around a while. Uh, although, you know, the um, efficacy is, um, we see potentially is dropping as um, people build immunities and and the, um, the bacteria evolve. Uh, so uh, to, to see sort of new science emerging as a consequence of understanding the human genome, um, our ability to use uh, uh, big data and math to um, compute probabilities of um, disease spread and uh, the use of, for example, uh, artificial intelligence and specifically IBM Watson for helping with cancer uh, diagnoses and, and treatment. Um, so, the, the, I mean, not only is it is this innovation good for us and it's emerging. Um, uh, it, it, it's, it has a potential for radical transformation. I mean, there's a good chance we will solve the uh, three big ailments over the next few decades, you know, diabetes, heart disease, and cancer. Um, and, you know, if 40 million humans die a year from these three things, and we can make a dent in that, or dent, um, then that's a big deal. And, and so that to me is meaningful. You know, I, I, I'm not so keen on some of the other stuff. Um, 
uh, although that's generating money and getting some investment, um, I think we all know what I'm, the kinds of things I'm thinking about. Um, but where it comes down to innovation that has the ability to change the game for humanity, um, that's worth watching and worth investing in. And, and actually a really exciting, it looks quite exciting, the future around that. Mm. Now, thinking of the city of Palo Alto and, and what you do there, can you share with us a little bit of how you picture right. disruption <laughs> and innovation impacting your city mm-hmm. and how you imagine that things will will look and what will what will change over the years ahead? Oh, sure. And I'll use the kind of themes that are we're seeing across the world. You know, the, I'll give you I'll give you a couple of thoughts here. One is that there isn't one smart city strategy for cities. I've been to Quito, you know, Ecuador. Um, I've been to Enschede, Netherlands. I've been to Doha, Qatar. And their smart city strategies are unique to their cultures, to their needs. So, but I do see commonalities and I want, I want to talk about those and, and how they relate obviously to, uh, to Palo Alto too. The first is transportation. I mean, there's not a modern city in the world that doesn't suffer from a transportation issue. Um, probably the best I've seen is Singapore. And the re- only reason I believe it's working there is because they've basically made it too expensive for people to drive or to drive in urban, you know, the, in the downtown areas. It, it um, is it is expensive, definitely. I think yeah. you know, compared to the the U, the US where and and countries like New Zealand yeah. where it's very easy to get a vehicle right. and it, it's it's uh, it's not a big expense. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, yeah, it's um it's just it's just something that the majority of people don't bother with and yeah. they have a pretty good public transport system. Exactly, exactly. And so what works in Singapore doesn't necessarily work in San Francisco. I mean, that's that's definitely the conclusion um, and for political reasons and a whole lot of other things. So transportation is an area where I think uh, we'll see some change. We'll see, you know, like in the, in the short term, something as basic as an easier way to find a parking space, right? Simple, but makes a difference. To incentives for getting people to buy electric cars, uh, better ways to uh, identify alternatives to transport. So, you know, if it means taking a bicycle to the train station and getting to your next destination, that needs to be easier to do and you need to understand those options. So I think there's there's opportunity there. And then going medium term to long term, it's the transition to self-driving vehicles and uh, basically to to a world in which we don't own cars anymore. All of that stuff needs to be supported by cities, or at least there has to be a relationship between the technologists and the context by which you know the, they have to engage in, in a city. And then the second is would be anything around sustainability, right? So um, everything from ensuring that you've got clean water available to everybody, everybody. It's, it's not like you have a choice with clean water. You got all humans need water uh, to clean air. Look, bad air around the world is killing people. I mean, it's, it's not an abstract. It's not abstract. It's not like if this happens, then this. Air quality is killing people today, right, in certain places. And not just in the majority world. Yeah. Which, you know, we're seeing the same in, mm-hmm. in you know, very well-developed economies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The third area that is going to see some change, and we're seeing it already in Palo Alto, is in, is in provision of energy. Uh, Palo Alto is a full-service utility um, city, so... Um, we do 
electricity, gas, you know, water, wastewater. We even provide a high-speed fiber internet service for businesses. And so we control the destiny of power in Palo Alto, which is kind of cool because we're not reliant on the marketplace. Uh, and we've decided that all the energy we provide should be renewable. And to the extent we can make that happen quickly, we're working on right now and, and, and we're making great progress. Um, and, and so cities all around the world need to make this, will make this transition to renewables. Um, solar will be a big, big player. And finally, the fourth category I would say is uh, digitization. Is It's still very hard for people to engage with their city in even the most basic thing, like getting a driver's license or getting a copy of your birth certificate. Um, these are ripe for digitization, right? It should be as easy as, you know, uh, ordering, you know, a uh, an Uber on your phone as it, it should be as easy to order your birth certificate, right, on your phone. So I think there is enormous opportunity and, and, and space to innovate and bring services to cities that make the experience better for the community member. Um, and, and this is not unique. To, it's important in Palo Alto. And today we have over 60 services that are digitized, you know, key core services. And as you know, I was in Dubai and they now have over a thousand services available on their Dubai, you know, smart city app. Um, and you see, you're starting to see more and more of that in, in cities. So, uh, you know, the things that are important to other cities in these four areas are important to us. And this is what, you know, I guess if I was to sort of summarize on what I spend most of my time on, at least on the innovation side, it's in, um, in those four areas. And when you think of innovation, which in some cases leads to disruption, mm-hmm. What are the what are the, the the secrets to innovating from you from your perspective? What are yeah. the what are the what are the things that allow people who dream of being innovators become innovators? Mm-hmm. Let's think. Of, let, I mean, let's put it. I'll put everything, all the cards on the table. Right? Not not everybody can do it, and uh, you've got to recognize your limitations and what your strengths are, and. To me, the work that I do and the way I do it is a choice. Um, There are many government CIOs who do great work, but they don't innovate. They make sure that the databases are available, that email's available, the traffic signals work, the libraries are open every day. Um, But they're not necessarily trying to take risks and rethink how you can deliver government. So part of it is a choice. Part of it's saying, am I going to do this today, (laughs) right? Um, you got to have the environment that it's safe to do that in, right? So many organizations, whether they admit it or not, don't make it safe for people to do this stuff. Um, well, you, know, you, you have to be able to cater to failure, like we were talking about before, don't you? You got to you got to have the ability to failure to to, to fail and and be supported when you fail. Um, but what, how do you? Uh, the organization needs to define the scope of that. Like, for example, if if you are asked to deploy a new payroll system, right? And um, it's probably not the one you want to necessarily make a bet on, right? Because <laughs> it's important and it's it's a core function of any organization. Um, but thinking about, for example, your your products, is there a, a new product that you could try out to a test market where 
you'd learn a lot. And if it succeeded, that's amazing. But if it failed, we'd, we'd learn a lot, right? Um, you also need to put aside funds for this work too. Uh, I found that if you mix innovation with your sort of production work, um, the production work is almost always going to get the priority. And what I mean production, I mean sort of the operational stuff that makes thing, everything run. Like you got to have your marketing, you're going to have your you know supply chain, you're going to have your manufacturing, whatever it is, that is your core to your business. If you're if that's competing with the innovation funds, uh, the 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 go to is always going to be to use that money to. Uh, to invest in the existing services um, and e even improve them, which isn't exactly innovation. It's a type of innovation, but it's it's not getting you, it's not disrupting the marketplace or you know um, introducing your product necessarily to a new market. Uh, so uh, some some funds, set aside funds, and and, and a process maybe that is uh, more streamlined than the traditional, you know, uh, governance of how you go from an idea to making the idea happen. If you use the same sort of core conservative process, innovate ideas that are a little crazy might not make it. They might die before they ever get anywhere. So those are some of the things that I've used in my career and, and some of the choices I've made. That, that, there's some great insight there. To, mm. uh, to make that work, you'd need to get buy-in... Though, don't you? That's that's not something where just oh, we'll we'll just do that. But you really have to, um, you know, get buy-in more broadly across the organisation to make that happen. Is that something that you found a challenge, or the environment that you're working in? It's quite easy to get those extra funds yeah. sliced off, and uh, easy for you to, um, you know, put put in place. I guess a, a way of operating that has mm -hmm. supported that. Well, at the CIO summit this evening, uh, I was asked the question about how did I join a you know city after being in the private sector for twenty years, and you know I said ultimately I said I took a risk on the city and the risk and the city took a risk on me, and honestly, if I'd not got the support for what I had proposed in the interview process within two or three weeks, I would have left. I would have gone. It wasn't going to work. They need to. The organization that hires the innovator need to enable the innovator to succeed or create the environment. Um, you can't have a different future by repeating the same old behaviors, right? Of course. Um, and, and by the way, this is a big <laughs> revelation for a lot of leaders. They can think they can have a different outcome without actually changing the inputs. And those changing those inputs can be really spooky. Um, and it, it's like... When, when when you see a job opening for uh, like a CTO perhaps and it says we're looking for a game changer we're looking for somebody to think big we're looking for somebody to take risks and then you hire that person and they do those things and then you don't like it you you you, you um, there's a lot of confusion there about what you actually want and what you're expecting um, you've got to actually do those things you've got to embrace that person and what and the behavior they're going to have. So for me, when I moved into the city of Palo Alto, I needed to see words converted into action. I, I needed to get the support for the risk we were going to take for uh, introducing some ideas that actually would make people uncomfortable. Um, uh, and and so when, in a managed way, I did that, and then I did get support from the city manager. 
Can you, can you can you share a story about something where you you did make people uncomfortable and you know what what that was that you brought mm-hmm. in and, and how that uh, how that worked? Is there something you can? Uh, yeah, yeah, I got a good one. Yeah, the, got, I'm yeah. Like, wow, that was like big uh, for late at night and I'm tired and jet lagged. <laughs> I kind of got an idea pretty quickly there. Okay, so uh, when I got to the city of Palo Alto. The city was nearing the end of the development of a new website. Okay. Right. The the previous city website, um, which had been around for a few years, was not loved. <laughs> and so to get a new site out, they had bought, they had spun up a, a community advisory committee, um, spent some money, went through lots of design cycles, and I get to the city. And you know, I'm, I'm I'm debriefing with the city manager, and he says, "Jonathan, can you help get this thing live?" So I said, "Well, let me take a look. I don't know what's going on, whatever." So I go and I talk to the project manager, who um, ultimately reported to me, and I said, "You know, tell me about what's going on here. Apparently, we're stuck at the at, just at the last point, but we we're not going live." And he said, "Well, people are a little bit worried about some of the decisions we've made. You know, we're not sure if they're right. People are very risk averse because after the, you know, the the bad experience they had with the last website." And so I took a look at it and I, you know, it looked good to me and, uh, you know, I gave some advice on some design changes, so just normal stuff. Um, but I still couldn't get the group to sort of sign off on Let's Go Live. So I came up with a completely different idea. I said, what we're going to do is we're actually going to have um, both sites up at the same time. We're going to have a beta site. So we're gonna, it's going to be beta.citypalawats.org. And we're going to have the production site. And the, the production site will point back, point on its homepage to the uh, beta site. In addition, there'll be a forum on the beta site that allows you to give feedback before we go live. And that would be confidence building in advance of us going live with the new site. Um, I'm not familiar with anyone else at this, this was five years ago, doing a city beta site. Oh, and, and even since, I've seen one or two do it, and I think maybe they were inspired by us. But normally, government websites go from the old site to new site overnight and then just suck up the feedback if it's, you know, if it's bad. And so we, taking, you know, directly from the startup community, we went with the beta site. And, of course, we had to enter data twice, you know, because you have two different sites, but that wasn't a big deal. And people really warmed to this. They were very skeptical, and they thought it was, like, weird that you'd have two city websites that were completely different running at the same time. And we were getting live feedback, and we were making modifications on the site based on the feedback. And then at some point, you know, we put a date in there. We said the new site will go live and take over the old site on X date, and, and that's it. And when we finally did go live, uh, it was almost like um, it was there was crickets, right? Like people uh, transitioned nicely because we'd given everybody an opportunity. Those that were going to be vocal were given the opportunity to um, raise their concerns prior to the go live. And thus, this supported a really nice, uh, smooth migration. Um, so it was a few months after I joined that I was able to take this site uh, and make it go live. Um, no, look, this isn't you know the, the sort of the rocket science what I've just shared with you, but put it in the context of a small city in California, you know, with uh, that was a bit scared about their about their website, and it, and it went real smooth because I introduced somewhat sort of controversial way of actually migrating to the new site. That's great. And I think a large number of 
of organisations, uh, you know, particularly those where where committees are a, a common part of how mm-hmm. they operate, uh, can get very held up yeah. with exactly that trying to trying to launch a new website. Now, we also talked about that ability to fail and then to obviously you know gain from that failure experience. Are there any failures from the city of Palo Alto mm-hmm. and your work that, that you would be able to share with us? Oh, sure. Not only do we have failures, but I'm actually happy to share them. I yeah. mean, uh, that's what transparency is all about. It's not just showing off the good stuff, right? Um, uh, the one that comes to there's a few. But look, relative to the successes, that there's few. We've had uh, well over 200 projects go live since I've been at the city, largely all very successful. Um, and a small handful of, of bad ones. So the one that might be interesting to your listeners is uh, I wanted to try um, to deploy an enterprise social network to our city uh, staff. And specifically, I'll share it with you. I, I, uh, we chose Chatter, which is uh, owned by Salesforce. And part of the reason was it was you know basically very, 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 very low cost. It was right under all the triggers for you know RFPs and all the bureaucracy. So it was going to be quite easy to give it a try. It was going to be easy to, to pilot it and then mm-hmm. expand it and then you know uh, pay for some premium services and and it looked like we had all the things set up and uh, you know there's no doubt that cities in terms of the technology are laggards in the kind of innovation um, continuum, right? Uh, we're we're uh, we're not we're not going to be the first usually to do anything, right? And and um, we're going to be pretty slow in adoption. And so this was pretty bold to say, hey, at the time, again, four or five years ago, the, en- the idea of enterprise social network was getting quite excited and, and, and interesting in the marketplace. You had Jive and Yammer and uh, Chatter and um, uh, a couple others, which I can't think of right now. Um, but we chose Chatter, uh, tried some pilot groups. It was hard to get people to get it, first of all. Um, and then there was this worry that, first of all, you've got the, the Public Records Act, right? What, what, you know, social networks often benefit because they're, they're informal and, and people feel safe. Um, although I would argue even in the public domain, even on Facebook and Google Plus and others and LinkedIn, um, People need to be really careful, you know, for many reasons. Uh, but this was going to be inside the enterprise. This wasn't even going to be visible to the outside. Now, if a person puts in a Public Records Act request in the United States, they can see that stuff. And then you had the, I, I got a lot of feedback that people were afraid that their, their supervisors would be judgmental on what people did and said. So these were all things that I hadn't anticipated. And... Um, you had anticipated. I had not. Oh, you had no, not. no. I had not anticipated okay. that people would would be uh, as reserved uh, about what they post relative to what their supervisors would do about it. If a person responded to a question, for example, on a on an internal social network, um, would their would their supervisor then kind of take them aside and said, "You shouldn't have said that" or something? You know, right? A lot, kind right. of a fear uh, quality. So you combine that with the public records piece, which I, again was new to me. I hadn't anticipated that. And so the Public Records Act would mean that an external party could request a, a copy yes. of whatever was discussed yes. within this, in theory, private yes. social network. 
Yeah, because you can imagine in a, in a private company, which has none of that, you know, uh, like Slack internally, right? Slack's the big hot thing right now, right? The assumption for most organizations is that nobody in the outside is going to see your discussion. So, you know, if you're, uh, you know, you're a, a, a product company, consumer product company that has a particular brand on the outside, you know, they, they don't want, the marketing folks don't want anyone on the outside to see the ugliness that goes on inside when you kind of, when the sausage machine makes the sausages that ultimately makes the product, right? And so on Slack, you, you kind of go in there thinking, this is private. Right? We, can, we can argue about product direction. We can argue about uh, the, how we're approaching the project and never see the light of day. When I do Slack, and we're, we're kind of teasing that a little bit at the city, um, we do it with the full knowledge that if somebody had a reason, now they have to have a reason, just can't be like curiosity. If they have a reason, they can retrieve all the content from Slack. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to behave differently. And that is true. So anyway, long story short on our chatter experiment, it failed. <laughs> it, I, it did not get traction. It felt like we were forcing people to use it. It was not natural. Um, Unless we just pushed and pushed, um, people were just not engaged. And, and at some point, you kind of review the data, the metrics, and you say, you know, this is not going viral internally. Um, this is um, not getting leadership support. And so I shut it down. Hmm. I hmm. turned it off. And so if, in, in hindsight, if you look back, you mentioned about not getting leadership support, people not engaging. Mm-hmm. Then you must have some thoughts around how, if you got a chance to redo it, which you know, the the way you're um, you're talking suggests you, you you might be doing so. Um, you've got some reasonably good ideas on things that you would you would change to uh, to go back and do it all again. Which you know, of course, with something like that, you absolutely get that opportunity. It doesn't work the first time. It doesn't mean that you never go down that uh, yeah. that particular route again you would you would just navigate in somewhat of a different manner I think so so we we have our slack which we're doing for, you know not as a as a as a rollout to the organization but just trying to get used to understand you know get used to the product understand it but we did roll out Microsoft Office 365 last year and you get to choose what pieces you want to make available one of the areas we did not make available is yammer so yammer is the internal social network as part of 365. And it was a very deliberate decision. You know, based on the chatter experience, we said, uh, look, there's enough change in 365 that people have to deal with without introducing an an enterprise social network where we have a history that didn't work. But at some point, we're going to turn it on. And to your question, you know, are we going to do things differently? Sure. Now, I'm not so sure it's going to work yet. And I don't know that we fully thought out what we're going to do differently. one of the things for sure is that it has to be baked into existing processes. It has to some way work the way people work to some degree because ultimately people will work differently when the tool supports them in a different way. Um, so yeah, we got, we got to think different. We can't do it for a second time in the way in which it has, uh, you know, the, with the same probability of failure as the first way. It's got to go in. We've got to go with a high degree of confidence that we might have got the right approach. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I guess in uh, in different environments we have different opportunities to to test and fail, and in in some environments 
a failure can be incredibly costly. It can it can it can mean that that you're out of that particular area of business, mm-hmm. and um, you know, there might not be be a second chance. And I guess you know the world is moving very very fast in a, in a lot of areas. So uh, you know I guess um, in most cases you just have to do the best you can, build the best team. Um, but you can't always guarantee the outcomes, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's really true, and and it will be even more true in the future. Um, part of that is just velocity of change. Um, there's two defining characteristics of the digital transformation, right? It's it's speed and impact, and these are different than any prior period, right? You can, a startup today can reach a global market like in hours. You know, sometimes you hear of a new product that just launched in the morning and by the afternoon they have millions of users and uh, it's been used in several countries. Now, whether it succeeds or not ultimately is, is one thing. A lot of people will try something, especially online or on a smartphone because it's just so convenient. The, the entry barriers are so low. But... You know, if you are a traditional business today and you're relying on your old business model to succeed for the next 10 years and 20 years, it feels like a recipe for failure. It feels like you're on a trajectory towards um, obsolescence. I agree. Um, and, and so that means you're going to have to try new things. You're going to have to enter markets and products and services that are not even your, in your traditional domain, right? We see a lot of that already, right? Um, you know, you got, you got Apple now playing around in the, in the car business. You've got uh, a telephone company, Verizon, you know, uh, just purchased Yahoo in the US, in the content business, you know. Uh, we're going to see really interesting partnerships that don't make any sense, um, uh, at least initially. And, you know, if you're a company like Apple or Google and you've reached a certain scale to sustain that, you're going to have to diversify. You're going to have to get into markets that uh, maybe we're, are nowhere near core, and that has a lot of risk to it. Mm. Like, um, and you can see how Alphabet, which you know, is the mothership now for Google and some others, they're being really, really careful about their acquisitions and their um, their disposing of experiments that they thought would be good, but ultimately just were not a good fit. Um, and you can't do a lot of that though, because at some point you're again you're failing. You've got a problem on your hands uh, because. You know, you've got to, you've got to get traction with your with your ideas and with your and how your, your placement in the market. So, uh, it, you know, the definition now of the years ahead is uncertainty, um, a little bit of chaos, maybe a lot of chaos in some industries, uh, a lot of reinvention. Um, it's a tough time to be a CEO. I mean, it really is. Uh, and you know, if, if I was a person who was offered a job to be the CEO in a traditional business. Um, where the marketplace is moving fast, uh, every day would be a struggle. Every day would be, I hope I make it through the day, um, uh, because of you know. So these people are brave, and they're you know they. I mean, the rewards are great. Like if you're if you're well, a successful CEO, the rewards are amazing. But uh, and and it's an exciting time, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Because yeah. 
there are lots of new opportunities. Change isn't boring, mm-hmm. and if you can, you know, position yourself. And I think you know those that are that are listening into this podcast, you know, aren't the sort of people that just want to stand stand still. Yeah, you know, they have an interest in what's happening, how to ride the wave rather than be crushed by it. So mm-hmm. they you know, things aren't all bad, are they? No, no, without question, yeah. the the. Uh, on balance, and this this is probably debatable, but on balance, the, the progress that's happening is fairly positive in the world, right? Um, we're, we're 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 we'll soon be no longer a developing world, right? Where the numbers around you know less than nine percent of the world now is, lives in poverty or extreme poverty, that's down from about thirty percent just uh, you know thirty years ago. Um, and over the next few years, it'll drop to, f- to six to five to four percent of the world in extreme poverty. More people will have access to the internet. Uh, today, it's only about fifty-two percent of the world. We have to get the other forty-eight percent on the internet, and we will, and it'll happen over the next few years. Um, more people have access to electricity and you know, clean water and bathrooms. Um, uh, and and so, uh, what happens when eight billion human beings are all connected? And have equal access to education and opportunity. Uh, It's phenomenal to think about that because today all those things I just described are uh, only available to a much smaller part of the planet. Yeah, a a privileged section of 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 the world. But it's shifted. I mean, in our life, and we're not you and I are not that old, and (laughs) and and yet in our lifetimes we've seen the emergence of uh, uh, tens of millions of people in in India. And China uh, get access to uh, uh, the tools of of, uh, of the modern way of life, and in the next few years, we'll see in, uh, Africa come online, and that's phenomenal. When when Africa gets beyond its tragic history and, and the things that still continue to be problematic, um, Africa will have the top ten fastest growing economies in the world just within a few years, and. Uh, it, it, that's what's exciting. It, it is. And I, w- I would love to spend uh, a chunk more time sort of delving into that. We don't have time today. There's, there's still a few problems to be solved in the world. No, no um, and so maybe we'll get a chance to sit down on, a, on another occasion. But this has been, uh, been fantastic. Uh, thank you, Jonathan. Some great insights. And it's, um, yeah, it's a real, a real treat just to hear um, some of, of your experiences and some of your learnings, uh, yeah, particularly from, uh, from your work in the city of Palo Alto. So thank you very much for your time. Great. No, this has been a pleasure. It's great to be here in uh, New Zealand. What a, what a pleasure. What a privilege. Thank you. And so listeners who are wanting to track you down, maybe keep up with what you're doing. Sure. Where do they track you down? You've got a, a Twitter handle? I do. And, and I'm easy to find, let me tell you that, <laughs> for all the reasons we spoke about today. Uh, but Twitter, I, I, I love Twitter. So that's a really good way to either follow me or even ask me questions or engage in a discussion. Love it. So at Reichenthal, R-E-I-C-H-E-N-T-A-L. And perhaps I could plug my own podcast. Of uh, course, yes. Uh, if you if you look up either on iTunes or Google Play, uh, drinking wine, talking tech, uh, we have a little bit of fun. Uh, colleague and I over in Palo Alto uh, talking about rather similar topics, um, but also um, educate or uh, sharing our interest in wine and 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 the and the beautiful wines in Sonoma and Napa and 
and uh, we're definitely going to bring in uh, a New Zealand wine into the into the show uh, in, in season two. So uh, it's a lot of fun. We have we have uh, some laughs. It's oh, that's great. Well, we have a uh, podcast called the New Zealand Wine Podcast. Ooh. So uh, maybe uh, we need we need to establish a bit <laughs> of a connection uh, connection there for some wine sharing. <laughs> All right. Well, that's uh, that's been fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.